0: Hey everybody, this is Airy in the Air again. I'm a thinker and a talker. I also do crazy things like paraglide a hundred miles at a time and walk across the world's longest slack lines. Today we're not going to talk about those things, we're going to talk more about the thinking, okay? Today we're going to talk about the reality that everyone's trying to change the world and how I think we might best go about doing that. And just like always, here's some really nice music. 30 years old now and I'm beginning to peel back the layers of my own childhood. have been doing so for actually quite a while at this point but particularly my experiences in high school which I found to be prison-like and torturous for the most part when I look back on the effect that it had on me. Not every day was torturous but in general, I think it trained me to be a terrible person concerned with absolutely the completely and totally wrong things. And I'll give you a really powerful example of that right now. So this morning I woke up and the literally the first thing that popped into my head was basically my entire childhood I went through... Redmond K 12 School District, and there was a boy that was my age. His name was Eric. Eric was wheelchair bound and had a caregiver all day, every day. And I don't know Eric's ailments, but essentially, Eric would just writhe around in his wheelchair all the time this is from an outsider's perspective and uh limited perspective and we'll get into that but he yeah he would writhe around and i i wasn't sure i couldn't imagine what his experience was like you know, I, I didn't know if he knew me. Did he recognize me? Did he know where he was? What was, his, what was his what was his world inside of his head like? I couldn't imagine. And it wasn't that I took time to try my best to imagine. It was that I was basically every time I saw him, I was afraid of him. I was afraid of being wrong. I was afraid of being insensitive. A weird feeling, right? Growing up is weird. That's going to be a theme of today's episode. But Eric had this caregiver, and I almost can remember her name, but God, I can remember her face. I swear I could pick her out of a lineup of a billion people. And she had this... She had these eyes, she had this aura, this complete compassion and total acceptance, right? In the midst of this, I am struggling to keep my head out of water socially. And when I say that, I mean that... When I look back on my formative years in public school, I so much of it is marked with my struggle to keep from being bullied, keep from being humiliated, stay, like, having friends, which I'm sure that... And I know that on... on myriad instances I used tactics to avoid bullying and to avoid being humiliated I used tactics such as bullying and humiliation funny how that happens right and so here I am I'm in high school trying to keep it all together, and Eric and his caregiver represent in my life the compassion, acceptance, and non-judgment that is absolutely repulsive to me. That's repulsive to me. Can you imagine... If you're so mired in your own self judgment, if you are so mired in trying to squash the way that you are so that it fits your outside outside surroundings and the society and the group that you're in, then the thought of pure compassion, acceptance, non-judgment is something that you have to run away from. You can't have both of those things. Those don't fit in our head, both of those things. And when I woke up this morning and I thought of my my inner child that was essentially afraid in high school. Afraid to the point that I couldn't have compassion, a practical compassion for myself, let alone Eric this kid that I had essentially grown up going to school with, right? Our lives and our routines at school were very different, but I pretty much, you know, we went to the same elementary school, middle school, and high school. Like, I had seen him around. On the other side of experience is my friend Tyler Johnson, who... In high school, Tyler is athletic and handsome and charming and so, so kind. And in high school, he modified his schedule and he volunteered to be a caregiver for kids like Eric, which is just still to this day fucking brings a tear to my eye and And blows me away for the kind of compassion that these people have. And I remember being in high school and thinking to myself, Dude, Tyler, I mean, that's really nice of you, but it's kind of career suicide, man. It's kind of career suicide. Like, I'm not sure. That's not a very popular thing to do, man. I think you ought to listen to more rap music and keep up on the latest clothing trends here in Redmond High School. If you really want to make it big, buddy. When I witnessed Tyler volunteering as a caregiver for Eric and other students in similar situations, disabled, wheelchair-bound, the experience that you could witness in Tyler was really not that much of service. Like, it wasn't like... It didn't look like he was, like... pulling weeds, you know? He looked like he was having a blast. He looked like he was having so much fun. Like, these kids were his friends, and he was just hanging out with his friends. That was something that I couldn't... grasp, and... The mirror that that showed to me about where I was in my own life, about the things that were going on in my head, my insecurities, that was too shiny of a mirror to look at, I'm sure, at the time. And now, more than a decade later, I can look back with some resemblance of disassociation with my own behavior that I can actually imagine where I was and the effect that that had on me using my memories of my experience as a proxy of what that actually was. I think this is a really important exercise for everyone. And for Tyler Johnson, God, man, what a fucking example What a great example. I love you so much. So proud of you. (sighs) What a fucking guy, huh? Brings me to tears. So, how does this tie into how the world changes? How does the world change? How do people change? I think that if you turn on the TV, or log on to your favorite social media platform, the message of how the world changes might be that activists, inventors, entrepreneurs come up with these great ideas, they implement this technology on a small scale, they lobby the government, they write new legislation. The legislation is implemented at the top and then the effects trickle down to us stupid peasants on the streets who are forced to be enlightened through their example and legislation until those new laws, regulations become the norm But I don't really think that does it. I think that that is a narrative that empowers people to continue their addiction to power, the addiction to telling other people how they should be, the addiction to externalizing our own shadows into the outside world, saying that the world is wrong in this, the world is wrong in this, outside of ourselves. And on this podcast, a number of times I've quoted this little uh, skinny little Indian guy. Maybe you've heard of him. His name was Gandhi. And although he was kind of a perv, he had some good things to say and he was pretty clever in how he went about trying to change the world. And he also has some quotes that are pretty damn quotable and have been reproduced all over the world into infinity, and one that the Western world, and particularly the New Age movement, has clung on to, gets reproduced as this. It says, Be the change you wish to see in the world. But... And I've said that to you. I've said that on this podcast. Be the change you wish to see in the world. But the other day I was reading in this book. It's called Zen Soup. I quoted it on yesterday's podcast. It's by Lawrence G. Bolt. It's a great book. And he quotes Gandhi in there fully. And it made me realize that I had been misquoting Gandhi this whole time. The Western world has been misquoting Gandhi this whole time. That quote be the change you wish to see in the world that leaves out the two most important words in the whole fucking thing the quote is not be the change the quote is you must be the change you wish to see in the world you must fuck that's a big difference man That is a big difference. Be the change is like wishful. It's like, Oh, you want to change something? Okay, be that change. No, 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 no. You must. It is your duty. It is what you have to do. It is why you are here. You have to do it. You must do it. So, When the news says that we're going to externalize the problems of society onto society and try to find different ways to regulate and educate and inform people to act in the way we think they should act so that we can change the world into the thing that we wish the world would be, we're fucking doing it wrong, man. We are doing it wrong. You must be the change that you wish to see in the world. If we were to break this down further, there's a huge difference between behaving, the, the quote is not you must behave in the way that you wish people behaved in the world. It is not you must speak like you wish people spoke in the world, you must be the change. You must be the change. And so many people aren't familiar with the delineation of doing and being. There is a huge difference between doing and being. You could imagine a psychopath to act loving towards someone to gain entrance into their home, into their lives, into their heart. Those are loving behaviors, but is he being love? No, 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 no. There is a huge difference between someone acting in a loving way and being love. There is a big difference between someone acting like a leader and being a leader. You know this in people. You have experienced this. You have experienced embodiment. I know you have. You have come across people who, it's just, they're, the thing that they are, the thing that they exude into the world is just a bit more dense It's just a bit purer, clearer, more solid. The New Age word for this is embodiment, that people embody these different ways of thought, these different virtues, these different emotions. Embodiment. To be the change that you wish to see in the world is not to speak the change. Being the change doesn't even mean saying something. Being it means embodying it. So, take for example the welfare state. Or universal health care. Or free college. Or immigration, any of these things that are on one side of the coin, people say, oh, we have to be more compassionate. And on the other side of the coin, people are saying, I don't know, what, what do they say on the other side? <laughs> they say, hey, facts. <laughs> it doesn't always work out like that. Um... An embodied, a being of compassion, doesn't point to the rest of the world to tell them to be compassionate. That's not quite it. The embodiment of compassion actually understands the shortcomings and the histories that people have, the decades-long, lifelong struggle that they have with their own Enoughness with their own scarcity, with their own battle with their existential angst, their happy sad. The com- embodiment of compassion works to understand the barriers that humanity has towards compassion, as opposed to taking non-compassion, and applying guilt. See what I mean? You can imagine that the way we parent our children, the way that we educate, raise our children, is likely the most powerful way to change the world. If you imagine our social, moral, Landscape through the analogy that each person is a building, and you look out at the skyline, you can imagine that once those buildings are built, it is a huge ask to change their purpose, to change what they're built for. It's not real easy to take a skyscraper that was built for Offices and turn it into an ice skating rink. You know? Those are big changes. And the same in people, right? So if we have children who grow up and are indoctrinated and broken and convinced that the game of life is to keep yourself from being humiliated, to keep yourself from being too judged or keeping yourself from being bullied, if you are raised in a place, in a society, in a school system that makes you fight for your own place, fight for and defend your own worthiness, you can imagine that those kind of children grow up with a limited bandwidth to even imagine the experience of other people and as I say that I'm literally trying to forgive myself as a child for the limited bandwidth that I had for compassion not only for Eric in a wheelchair and the other children in school that I bullied and harassed and humiliated but my younger brother who I incessantly fought with my older brother who I incessantly fought with you can imagine that As a child, I was built with a certain purpose, thinking that the purpose was self-protection and that I had to fight to have my own worth and my own thing. And it really took up a lot of bandwidth. You know what I mean? It really took up a lot of bandwidth. I didn't even have enough bandwidth to understand Eric Or to take the time to even feel into the emotions that arose when I saw him. I was a structure built for one thing, and it has taken years and years and years to begin to reconstruct, to renovate, to do a makeover. Someone's at the door. The dogs are answering it. But if we're trying to change the world, we've got to be that, and we've got to raise our children to be the structures that we want to see in our landscape. i got to go. But I love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon. The